And welcome, welcome already back to another episode of the Handsome Homebuyer Podcast. My name is Charles, a.k.a. the Handsome Homebuyer, a.k.a. Captain Perman, a.k.a. El Budillo Maravilloso. A.k.a. the 2020 LLS Man of the Year. Up top! Got one of the members of Team Handsome 2020 LLS Man of the Year in the building. What's but before happening? before we go there, Maddie, you know who else is Man of the Year? Captain Permit. 516-513-8838. If you need plans, if you need permits, we got the best team in the business. I'm going to run down the roster real quick. We got the man Dennis out in the field. Code expert. Knows everything the towns are going to do to you and how they're going to do to you. The way you like it, the way you don't like it. With lube, without lube. He's the guy that knows. You got my brother-in-law, Ryan. Best beard in the business. And I challenge anybody to call me and say they've seen or have a better one. Out there measuring, going to the towns, making it happen. Steve drafting his little heart out in only the way that he can. And I dare say the best-looking man in the permit business, the COO, Mike Arado, jacked on a level that nobody else in the permit business is. During the day, he's crushing the towns, crushing permits for you. At night, he's crushing heavyweight for hours on end. Obviously, I'm the handsome home buyer. If you have a house that smells like cat pee, it's dated from the 1960s, has six inches of mold on the wall, human waste floating past the basement steps. This is a lot different in person than it is when you listen to it, right? You feel, you feel the power. You feel the you feel I the feel energy it, of the room. I want to fucking buy it. 516-777 sold. If you have commercial property, notes, land for development, I don't care what it is. If the man almighty created it and it cannot be moved, I want to buy it. All right. I'm excited. My man. This is a bit of buildup, bro. Yeah. I feel haven't I been like I've been I've been chasing you. You yeah, have for a while. I've been, I've been chasing you for a little while. You laid out the trap and you caught me, man. I don't uh I don't give up, man. And you know what it is? I feel like the 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 people out there, A, this is like kind of like a dual episode in the sense that it's it's for the guys because guys guys need you because we we historically suck at what you're great at, which we'll go into in a minute. Mm-hmm. It's also for the ladies. Yeah. Because you are a smooth Handsome mother ever. Hey man, you know. Got it from a pop. We got my good friend here. Most well dressed man I know. Barry White type of voice. You know you have a voice like that, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, like I <laughs> like I listen to myself and I'm like, you know, I don't sound that bad. And then I listen to myself, I'm like, I sound like a nasally Jewish man. <laughs> but not you, sir. Smooth guy. Honored to have him on the team for LLS 2020 Man of the Year. He's a biblical man. He's a financial man. He's a well-dressed man. He is the VP of Solutions and Implementations for, I dare say, the largest and most profitable investment bank, not in New York, not in the country, I dare say, the world. Most importantly, he is the CEO and founder of Suitable, Dalton Gooding. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mr. Charles. Good to have you, man. Good, Good to have to be you. be here, man. Great to be here. I feel like we're boys, but like we don't get to spend enough quality time together. So as I explained to you before, I was like, when I want to spend real intimate quality time with someone where I'm peeling away the layers, yeah. I, I get them on the podcast. Plus, I feel like there's there's just there's a ton of gems that we got to talk about on the business front and what you currently do right now. So first, I want to talk a little bit about finance. Yeah. Because... <laughs> 
I love finance. I think people do. It's sexy, but I kind of feel like it's a, a Friends episode, even though I've never seen Friends, in the sense that nobody truly understands what anybody on Wall Street does. Right. Right? Like, you'll throw a title out there, and it's just some crazy thing, and you know that, like, it's high energy, it's high stress, there's a lot of money flying around, it's the center of the financial world, but after you hear the title, you're just, you're still confused. Yeah. So just a little bit of background about, you know, what what you did, your career, whatever you want to share with us. Yeah, sure, sure. I move money. The end. <laughs> <laughs> and if there wasn't confusion before, there sure as shit is confusion now. But, so, what I want to get into... Uh, that, that was a joke, by the way. Oh, no, actually, yeah. I that was perfect. But you, um, at, at, at a very high level, you do very high level project management is that an accurate statement yeah project management is the core um, of what I do okay yeah so to back up for a moment and give you perspective on on what it is I do I got to tell you a little bit about the part of the of the IB that I work in okay so IB is investment bank investment bank okay sorry about the acronyms alphabet soup here but <laughs> so I'm part of what you call the custodian bank so normal average Joe wouldn't walk into a custodian bank and say, hey, I need to open up an account. What is a custodian bank? Custodian bank is where institutions, asset managers, pension funds, um, large institutions such as that, they have their assets, securities, cash, commodities, etc., for safekeeping by um, a large firm, a custodian bank. <clears throat> now, what that custodian bank does is that they safekeep the assets, they facilitate settlement, they manage corporate actions on any of the securities. So corporate actions, an example is like a dividend mm -hmm. or um, you know something that would happen that would change the nature of the security. So we do all of that, accounting, um, portfolio administration, all those type of services and, and runs a full gambit of managing the, the whole back and middle office of, of the um, life of the security. So that's what a custodian bank does, right? We also launch mutual funds and ETFs and, and um, products of that nature. So when you have a client that wants to change custodian banks, and usually clients will do that, they diversify where they have their assets for safekeeping, so they'll never have it 100% in one custodian bank. Okay. So they'll maybe have, you know, 40% here or 20% there, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So for whatever reason, be it fees or um, regulatory, they'll move a portion of their business over to the firm where I work. Okay. Um, so there's that part. The other part is we have a new client or an existing client that wants to launch a new mutual fund on the street and we'll facilitate the process of getting the client ready, um, culminating the assets okay. so that you know they can be pulled into, into the mutual fund and distributed on the street. What kind of person or group launches a mutual fund? Uh, asset manager. So it's like of like a hedge fund or like who kind of like, I'm. this is my own, curiosity like is it like certain is it a bank that does it like what kind of group organization individual launches a hedge fund i mean launches a, a mutual fund yeah so large uh, money money managers so okay. you know, your fidelities of the world um your vanguards of the world will launch funds um your jp morgan asset managements of the world will launch funds so folks like that will come to um you know will facilitate that through a custodian bank interesting is it, I mean, it sounds like a very overwhelming, just a lot of moving pieces type of job. Like, 
high stress, high energy. I mean, it's big money, a lot of deadlines, I'm sure. Yeah, for is, sure. Is that really, like, is that the reality of it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the crux of it. And my role as the project manager is to hold it all together, right? So from the inception where a client engages us and says, we want you to launch a mutual fund for us, whether they're new or existing, uh, what I do as a, as a project manager is um, define the scope, right? So what does that mean? Um, are we just administering the fund from you know a custody standpoint, or are we doing performing accounting on it? Um, are we performing any of our other plethora of services on it, like foreign exchange, uh, repatriating currencies, and things of that nature? Um, and then once we gather the requirements, what we do is we pull together the team based on those requirements. We know who will be involved <clears throat> in the process. So it could be anywhere between 15 and 40 people on a team that I manage on, on any given project. So that's legal, that's account opening, that's compliance, that's KYC, know your customer, figuring out you know whether they're a criminal or not. Most of the time they're not. But we still need to do that due diligence. Most of the time, <laughs> we still need to do that due diligence, yeah. um, you know, to, to protect from re reputational risk. Um, so, them as well as um, fund accounting. If there's performance me measurement on the fund, um, there are foreign exchange services on the fund. So all of those together, and technology is a major component of that too. So pulling all of those folks together, understanding what the requirements are to launch the mutual fund right specific to the client's request um, and then also what the timeline is going to look like and then managing the client's expectations and executing against that timeline so when i hear that i think to myself first off you must have the patience of a saint i've been um, told that that's one they never see me sweat two i'm i'm curious to know about this so like running us I, I mean you're basically you're running a business for lack of a better word it's, just, it's similar structure like delegating people etc so when I think about just small businesses, right, which you're involved in, which I'm involved in, which you know most of America is involved in, when I think about getting talent together and then how they respond, I'm curious to know, like when you're you're operating on a on a very high level with some some major people, is is the struggles of, of organizing and making sure everybody does their job and things flow together, you know, similar to what you hear about me dealing with houses and contractors not showing up, is this just like a people thing? Yeah. Or when you get to a certain level and you have a certain caliber mm -hmm. of, of person, does it become easier? Is it always the same shit? Like, Yeah, I think I think we run into a lot of similar challenges, right? Um, talent being one of them. Um, motivation as well, because yeah. everyone's not motivated the same as you are. Everyone doesn't have the same level of accountability that you, know, you do or maybe I do in my role. Um, and so the, the people aspect of it is what really makes or breaks, for lack of a better word, a good project. And so a lot of times it's it's also conflicting priorities, right? Because I'm sure even in your world, you may deal with a contractor, but perhaps they're, you know, they have other um, business that, that they're doing as well for, for other folks. Yeah. And same with me, right? So for instance, none of the people on my project team directly report to me, right? So I'm taking resources from... Um, line teams okay. in order to work on a project, right? So they allocate time against my project. Keep in mind, they're also working on other projects at the same time. So, got it. Okay. So they have they have a 40 or 50 hour work week, whatever it is, and they're basically, they're chopping up their time amongst different projects and different project managers. Right. So they're churning and burning on this one thing for different people. 
I'm churning and burning on maybe anywhere between one to ten um, projects that include all of those different components. Do you have direct access with these people or no? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. I do. Some of them are onshore, some are offshore, but yeah, direct access with them. So my question for you as we talk about this is, how do you, like, when these people can do a bunch of, like, are working on a bunch of different projects and you need them to really perform for you, how do you motivate them and keep them focused and manage all those 45 different personalities? Well, it's a lot about relationship building, right? Um, it's give and take and respecting people, right? I always make sure that there's an element of respect on any of my projects. I don't allow anyone to talk crazy <laughs> to one another on my calls. I don't allow people to disrupt does, my meetings. Does that stuff happen? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because you have people are going to be people regardless, right? You can't control that. We all come from different backgrounds, have different experiences. So there's, a, there's always a brat in the room. Right. So you've got to do your best as the project manager to, to temper that so that it doesn't contaminate the um, the environment of, of the rest of the team. Shit. Yeah. Interesting. So I want to transition into uh, into suitable, but I want to take it back before we actually get to suitable. So obviously, the viewers at home can see you're as you're, you're as put together as a man can get like all all. Eyes dotted, all T's crossed, Appreciate the that. whole nine. And it's done in like just a perfectly put together package, not too try hard, just enough. Like the accents are there. I appreciate it, man. If I'm getting a little tingly, you, I mean, you know, I have a girlfriend, I love women, but I'm just saying, <laughs> in the event that I wasn't, you might be in trouble. The point is, but I'm also taken though. And I know your wife, and I, uh, I, I, that's a fight I wouldn't want to fight because I, I, I know I would lose. This man, five foot terror, man. She'll get you. So, what I'm curious to know is before we get to the actual suitable, obviously, I assume that fashion has been deeply ingrained in you and a part of your life from forever. Definitely. Um, and actually, take it a little bit back further than that. Well, no, we'll go with that first. Like, I, I see your son, and he is. Dapper as dapper could be at four. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to know uh, about your upbringing and how, you know, where you come from, background, and how that, you know, how fashion was a big part of your life and how that relates to your, your ultimate passion of what you're you're doing now. Yeah. It was forced on me. I mean... Fashion was forced on fashion you? Fashion was forced on me at a very young age. Tell me what other kid at six years old, first grade, no, second grade, walks into a class with corduroys a sweater vest a button-up shirt and penny loafers who <laughs> tell me who else you know anyone matt no no yeah so that that was my dad's whole thing i mean my okay. dad immigrated here he's not from this country he's from okay. sierra leone west africa okay so um a lot of british influence so when he was growing up really? he loved to dress up okay like a lot um, i mean he would order his stuff from the uk I mean, button-up shirts. So he really, he really, he loved yeah, it. That was his thing. He loved it, man. What did he, what business with him? What did he do? He um, was in um, medical healthcare administration. Okay. Yeah. So he worked for a hospital. Okay. Um, so he's retired now. Lucky guy. So um, at a young age, he used to have me dressed up in these outfits because he knew the value of, of presenting yourself well, right? Okay. How you present yourself will shape the way that people perceive you. And so he always imparted that in me. So he would always dress me up in these sweater vests and corduroys and get up and make sure I tuck my shirt in and make sure that, you know, I look good and presentable. My hair is combed right. So 
um, at a very young age, that was him. Even when I wanted to wear, you know, what everyone else is wearing, jeans and, you know, shirts hanging out the pants and all that stuff, he would always say, be yourself. And I really didn't understand it until later on, the value of being yourself, being comfortable with who you are, um, dressing well, and being presentable, right? Because, you know, that's the first thing that people see. Yeah, right? first impressions. Yeah. So that's 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 all my dad right there. So you so growing up, you hated it. You just you wanted to dress a certain way. You just you didn't want the structure. Maybe it's just that as kids you want to be rebellious. You want to test, right? Maybe that's just part of it. Like whatever your whatever our parents want us to do, we kind of want to do the opposite. It's you know it's not really the rebellious factor. As a kid, you want to fit in. You don't want to stand out as a kid. You want to be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. When you become an adult, you want to be your own person. Look so, at Matt Arvisual over there. He's like, you're going deep right now, and shit is just resonating with Matt Arvisual right now. Cool. cool. <laughs> Keep pre- preaching. Hey, bring man. it. Bring it. But I mean, that that's really what it is, man. You want to fit in. You want to look like everyone else. Um, people make fun of you when you look different, mm-hmm. and that was a you know a, a part of it also. You know, come in looking like somebody's dad <laughs> in elementary and in, in, um, in elementary school, and it's like, all right, you're the the odd one out. But, you know, you realize that being comfortable with who you are and even taking it a level further that when I started to kind of wear jeans and, mm-hmm. and other things like that, I would still make sure that I'm neat, that, you know, it's ironed, it's pressed, I look crisp, I put it together well, just like he would, but just not corduroys and penny loafers. See, I um, I always like learning about where people come from because my mother used to say this to me all the time and I understood what she was saying, but I don't think I truly got it until very recently, yeah. which was she was like, you are what you live. Remember that, Charles. You are what you live. Yeah. And I was like, what are you saying to me, Mom? Like, what are you saying to me? And now it is so interesting to ask people about, like, their past and where they came from and their parents to see w- how that shaped them yeah. and what kind of impact that had on the person they, they are today. Right. So I'm actually curious to know at what moment did that, the, the, the hatred, hatred of, you know, just structured fashion turn to a love of fashion? So, I think in high school, um, junior high to high school, that transition really made me appreciate it. And it wasn't like I was dressing up in business suits when I got to high school. I was still wearing um, clothing like like everyone else at this point. Jeans, shirts, sweaters, whatever. Rugby shirts back then in the 90s. Um, Z Cavaricis in the 80s. Did you have Z Cavaricis? No. Zcap Ricci is making a comeback right now. You know about Zcap Ricci, right? Do you know what they are? No. They're like they're like MC Hammer pants. Oh with man. Pleats. Oh my god. Now you're not signing off on that. You mean the genie pants? Yeah, I mean it wasn't like it didn't look like you know like like a like like the crotch was dropping and oh, like yeah, it looked like you yeah. took a dump in your pants, but like <laughs> they were like yeah genie s type of pants with pleats. Yeah. I had like six pairs of those things, bro. Really? How old are you? I just got a vision of you. Looking like MC Hammer, dude. Let me let me let me let me paint. Chain. Let me no, let me paint this picture for you. Like, <laughs> 1991, I had a luscious mane of hair, right? I had like the nine, the the Beverly Hills 90210 yeah. Brandon wave in the front. Oh, get out of here! With the luscious hair going back, with the Z Cavaricis on, with the Reebok pumps, with the tongue out. Oh god, oh man. I don't know what kind of shirt, but I'm sure it looked. Did you pump them? Crazy. Did you pump the pumps? Of course. At I least pumped. three times, right? Of course you pumped yeah, the pumps. Yeah. I don't know what the magic number was, but I know that I definitely <laughs> pumped the pumps, whatever the magic number was. Yeah. So junior high, you started like, 
you started coming into your own, you started feeling yourself. You were like, you know what? Dad's been pushing this on me, uh, but now I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to get it. Yeah, junior high, high school, and really the whole thing about fitting in um, that I talked about earlier. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense that that was also the reason why I wanted to step out and, and be kind of this fashion guy or okay. the style guy, someone who took real pride in the way that he looked was because I was a shy guy, so I fell under the radar a lot. Which shocks me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so at that point, really, it was like, well... You know, I know that there's value in taking pride in how I look, so I'm just going to take that to the bank. And I started to really dress and take pride in myself, and that, of course, builds esteem, builds confidence. Yeah. And that's another component of, of why I do what I do with Suitable also, because it builds confidence, it builds esteem. It helps you to feel good about yourself, yeah. but it also shapes people's perception of you. So It's your, it's, it's your identity. Now, I w- I'm curious to know if this happened, because this is what I'm thinking in my mind. You started, feel, you started dressing this, that... Was there a moment that you can remember where you got like, maybe I'm just being dramatic because I am dramatic, but was there a moment where you got this compliment, maybe it was from a girl, maybe it was from a guy, there was a moment where you got like the first compliment you can remember on your style, and at that point that kind of like, was like throwing gasoline on a fire? Oh man. Am I making this up? Is this not a real thing? I can't remember the exact moment. You know where I'm going with this, right? But, you know, I I just remember, I remember after a while, like, my crew started to look, like, more like like how I was dressing, right? Yeah. We we went from, like, you know, normal whatever to, like, the pretty boy crew. So Yeah? Yeah, 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 the way that we dressed. So, I mean, I think think at that moment where we started to kind of run things in that way and, and just being on point realize you were, you were a trendsetter yeah exactly so you know fast forward x number of years you're you're on wall street a lot of money high fashion etc and you say to yourself um, well first of all let me go back i'm curious to know about this how much does where you work influence your particular style i think the idea of where i work influences my style because the believe it or not, the industry's moved towards business casual and even casual. So there are folks at my job who wear jeans every day, right? Really? Yeah. I mean, when you're when you're not out um, doing road shows, like if you're not on the end of the IB of the investment bank, where you're you know out doing road shows and trying to raise capital and things like that, you don't have to wear a suit when you're not in front of a client every single day. Like we're client facing, and um. So, you know, other areas on, on my floor. But when you're not out facing the client every day, you don't have to wear a suit. So that's kind of the main premise. When you face a client, you do wear a suit and you do look presentable. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I think the idea of it. And so wanting to be on Wall Street from since I was in college, really, I was like, you know, I can't wait to get there. I'm going to wear a suit. I'm going to look good. I'm going to look like Gordon Gekko. <laughs> you know, Charlie Sheen. Look like those guys. And, um, you know, that, that, that idea... Did the, was what the, really did the fashion most people are drawn to Wall Street because they see the the money the this that you were drawn to Wall Street by the fashion the fashion and the money and the money yeah the fashion and the money and I didn't even start on Wall Street I mean my first job was at um was at Nielsen Media uh-huh. as a business manager and so I had this manager there manager and friend um, Scott who really took pride in the way that he dressed so that only like catapulted me to want to look good because like alright you look good alright all right, this is what I'm going to wear tomorrow so it's always that that yin and yang uh, where we would, you know, 
take off and, and, and try to not outdo each other, but compliment each other. And everyone would say, oh, you guys look great. Or, oh, you always dress so nice. And so that, to your point of what you were saying earlier, the compliments, Yeah. that's kind of when I really can, can remember. Gasoline on the fire. Gasoline on the fire, man. So I, I, mean, I will sit... So obviously trends have been changing and, and moving back and forth, which is kind of interesting. I actually always really loved fashion. In general, I will make a claim, and you know, please don't, the public don't shoot me on this, is men kind of suck at fashion. Yeah. Historically. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, men were really put together, and then we went through kind of like this '90s grunge. I don't know, just find something that's clean on the floor in your house type yeah. of thing, guys, and we fell off. And guys never really took care of themselves as far as, you know, skincare, haircuts, things like that. That was always like a girl type of thing. But now things are changing, and it kind of seems like guys are coming back a little more to, like, structure and dressing up and, and really, you know, taking pride in how they look. Right. So um, <clears throat> I want you to get into that. Before you do, I want you to explain exactly what suitable is and what you do and then where the concept for it came from and how it, it morphed into what it is becoming sure so suitable is where wall street and fashion have meet bam so it's it's a play on words right so suitable s-u-i-t-a-b-u-l-l and for those at home this is how it's written right so suitable right so when i was thinking of a name I was like all right what if what can I say that you know has suit in it and that will really speak to the element of um, you know how one should look so suitable you know you got to look suitable when you're going out but also the Wall Street element of it you know the bull the Wall Street bull and how people carry themselves with that confidence are all you know culminated together you got the pseudo bull mm-hmm. so that whole enterprise is that our visuals get into this dude that <laughs> So, so that whole the whole um, premise of it is to shape folks' perception of you and to help to manage your own perception of yourself, right? So the confidence thing that I was talking about earlier yeah. in, in the pod. Um, and so with that, there are a few things, right? So there's the blog, which caters to the masses. It's um, what you should do, what you should wear to a formal event, what are the parts of the suit, um, other things, how to cleanse out your closet, get rid of stuff you don't need. Um, and then I also do that on a more personal level, right? So style consulting, that business of it is that, you know, keeps the lights on, right? So there's, um, you know, one-on-one consultation. What do you do? What do you like? Um, how would you like to look? Things of that nature, really getting to know the client and then applying that in some different areas, right? Applying that to what do you need in your closet that you don't need? What do you need in your closet versus what you do not need? Um, and also how can we scale that down so that you can look the best possible version of yourself um there's how do you want to look for a formal event how do you want to look every day for work um and just overall you know learning about the fashion and styling aspect um, while you're going through the process so i have um consultations that i would schedule with clients um and then you know any level of, of those other services will have their own packages as well so depending on what the client wants, that's that's what we cater to. But really, it's it's educating them on on fashion and also helping them to feel their best self. Because the main premise of of suitable really touches on what 
I found is my calling in this world. And I found this out. It was like a light bulb moment. Um, is to uplift and motivate people. And seeing that style and fashion are near and dear to me. It's like how else, how better to do that than through helping people to feel good about themselves through the way that they look. Yeah. So that's that's really the, the crooks and the core of, of Suitable. Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it's... Everybody has things that they're that they're great at and things that they're lacking in, right? And you know, I always found that the the fastest way to become a more well-rounded, better person in general mm-hmm. is to <clears throat> just be humble and say to yourself, "I'm great at this, so I can offer those that service or advice to people." And things that I am deficient in, to partner up with a professional yeah. and let them help me. And, and through the process, become better at it. I mean, fashion's a huge thing. A, we, we live in a superficial society, so first impressions are huge. Yeah. To your point, even on a deeper level, when you look good, you feel amazing. Yeah. You project yourself differently. It's, um, it's, it's a game changer for people and, and what they can do and accomplish. So what I'm curious to know is, like, the light bulb goes off, yeah, I'm passionate about this, but most businesses, I feel, come from, like, people see a gap in the market. Right or just a need that is being that isn't being filled. Right. Was there was there a moment where you where you started seeing this or just a constant repetitive like, where did that exactly come from? So it, it came from the fact of seeing just people in in my own industry. I mean, it's like you you're going to see a client, but you know you don't seem like you look like your best presentable self. You know what I'm saying? You're just seeing the the, the varying levels. Like the person who's very senior who. Um, maybe a managing director um, that you know is very buttoned up, you know, to maybe the associate or maybe even someone on my level, even at, at at VP, that is not as buttoned up. And so it's like, no, we all need to be looking like the guy who's calling, you know, the big deals, right? So looking like the managing director, looking like the guy in charge, because no one really knows, right? But you got to look the part. And so the gap there is seeing the different levels of knowledge and, and bringing everyone up the curve to what that knowledge, to what to what they should be knowing. Um, and then also kind of seeing the shift of, of the culture where a lot of people care about their appearances now, probably because of women. <laughs> As we all know, that that's a motivating factor for a lot of men is to, to keep themselves looking good. Um, so seeing that, that niche there from a professional standpoint is what kind of got me in there saying, all right, yeah, I've been doing this. People are always telling me I look great and, you know, I know how this works and I know where it's needed. So did you have a lot of guys approaching you being like, yo, Dalton, you look fly. I'm going out on this date. I'm taking my girl here. I'm meeting this girl. Like, do you have, you have suggestions, you have pointers, you take your boys out and like, listen, you got to put this together like this. Did that kind of stuff start to happen? And then you were just like, oh yeah, maybe this all the time, man. I mean, even even for wedding, like I styled one of my closest friends for for their um, wedding and even the whole bridal party for the men, the groomsmen. So, you know, just stuff like that. You you your first customer is always going to be the people who are closest to you with something like this. Right. Just like how, you know, your biggest supporters in any business will, will be the ones that are closest to you. They, they may be your first investors. They may be your first clients. And so, um, you know, this was kind of another example of that. Talk to me about just. Um, the fashion industry in general now like how you see trends changing how you see technology coming into the world like I mean there's all these cool apps I see where you like take a body scan of yourself and then you can order custom shirts like how how do you see you know tech and the industry changing um, and trends changing within fashion for men 
No, that's a great question. I mean, technology is definitely a, a huge component. You see a lot of brick and mortar stores going out of business because of technology. So, yeah, man. you know, just for example, you see like an Amazon putting maybe, well, Sears kind of put itself out of business, but um, you see them maybe putting like a, a Sears or like any of the other number of department stores out of business because people are now going online to shop. Um, I think with fashion, people want things that are convenient. Uh, so they'll put in, you know, parameters and have someone else figure it out like a, you know, like not, not free advertise, but, you know, the names out there, you know, um, that will have an app or a subscription service, uh, so to speak. But I think um, person to person will always be necessary. Um, I think it's it caters to a particular client base. Um, I think there's a level of intimacy with your with your client that you should have because if the better you know them, the better you can serve them, um, which is why person to person will never go out of style. So technology is helping a lot of different people to get in the game, but I think for that next level, um, you know, you really got to sell the relationship component of it, and that's really what it is. Do you do you tend to cater to like people on a higher end? Is it it is a very broad kind of base of people? Is it you have certain people that that you deal with as like a one off for for one event because it's it's a very important thing like a wedding or whatever it is, and then you have people that just kind of like you meet with periodically just as kind of like a general consulting just because this is very important and they always want to look fresh in their life. Yeah, I mean, I think more more or less it's it's event by event. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of on call, so as needed, so not really a set schedule. I mean, obviously, at some point, um, as the relationships build more and more, would definitely want to have folks who will refresh season by season, which isn't uncommon, yeah. right? But um, to answer your question about the, the level of, of folks that I deal with, it's on varying levels. I mean, from high level, you know, folks who only shop at Neiman's and shop at Saks to um, people who want to, you know, get a bargain, right? I mean, for me personally, um, I'm always in for a good bargain, right? I always want to get a good deal, I should say. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, clothing or shoes or anything are, are cheap or cheaply made, but it's, you know, getting getting the right deal um, and feeling good about what, what, what I bought for myself and, you know, how I look, right? And that kind of adds a challenge, challenge component to it as well because anyone can go into a store and spend $5,000 and walk out with, you know, a great looking suit or a bad looking suit. Um, but, you know, it takes takes a lot of skill to have a defined budget um, that you work within. And then using that to say, all right, well, I can only spend, you know, 50 bucks on a shirt. Where can I go to, you know, find a, a nice French cuff uh, shirt with, um, you know, a banker collar, for instance. So, you know, all levels. Yeah, like when I look at fashion, I think you don't have to go out and spend a ton of money to look amazing. Like you can go to, like you can walk into a Walmart, a Target, and if you have the right eye or you're working with someone with the right eye, you can make $300 worth of clothes look like, you know, $3,500 worth of clothes. Right. Um, so I wanted you to kind of touch on that. I also, I think a big thing that men don't understand is how important fit is and tailoring. Right. So good segue. So tailoring and fit are probably, and quality, are the key components to having that look, if you will, right, without spending a ton of money. So you can get nice um, quality of fabric without spending a ton of money. Obviously, the levels vary. You know, wool types, Super 140s is very, very fine wool, very, very expensive, but it's not a workhorse. You can't wear it every day because it'll disintegrate, 
over a short amount of time. Um, but if you if you have like a good quality wool, usually natural natural um, textiles are what I like to wear. I usually try to stay away from the synthetics like a polyester because the um, naturals will, will stay a little richer. So, but what I mean by that are like, this is a wool suit, right? So you, you wear a wool suit or if you wear um, a linen suit in the summertime or a cotton suit in the summertime, you know, having the richness of the colors and, and so forth uh, without spending a ton of money. And everyone has wool suits. Everyone, every manufacturer has cotton suits, etc. But make sure you start off with a good base or a great um, quality of fabric. And then secondly is the tailoring component. So once you have it, it doesn't, and going back to the $5,000 example, you could spend $5,000 on a suit at Barney's or Saks or wherever, but if it doesn't fit you right, it's going to look like trash. Yep. So you've got to take it to the tailor. You've got to, you know, if necessary, get the cuff shortened so that you have a little bit of your, your shirt cuff showing. You've got to get it hemmed, of course. That's that's like basic, getting a hem. And what a lot of men are doing today are getting the jackets tapered so that it fits the silhouette of, of the torso. So getting it um, tailored even at a basic level um, is, is very, very essential. I mean, if you get really sick with it, then, you know, you start doing things like shortening the jacket to be right above, you know, the zipper or right below the seat of your pants, um, you know, alternate threading on, on your buttonholes, things like that. So yeah, there, there is like a science to tailoring and the way these things should be set up to make you look you know your best and and i've seen like side by side before answer pictures like or i watch a lot of youtube videos on this stuff because it is something i mean even though i'm wearing 30 dollars worth of cap clothes right now i do i do like this stuff still look good and hat looks right, great man it's a, it does. <laughs> the hat does look good um it's it makes it different and the interesting kind of thing is even though it's coming back like what i i really really want um I really want a bespoke suit. That's like one of these. I'm not a very bougie guy, but that's, I want one. Like, yeah. I just want one of those things because I feel like, I genuinely believe that nothing is going to fit you better than something like that. Absolutely. And when I look around in New York, it's not that, like, readily available compared to places like, or they'll say it's bespoke, but it's really not. For those of you who don't know what bespoke is, bespoke is basically made, custom made for you. Right. They'll take measurements, but then they'll send it out to China. Like right. when you're when you're when I think about like Savile Row and places like that, I don't I don't see it as much in New York as you would think that you would given the amount of money there. Am I off on that? Is that accurate? It's there. You just gotta find it and I have connections with that as well. Um, but yeah, mo you're right. Most times they'll send it to China or they'll send it to Mexico. I know of a company that would do that. Yeah. Um, but some actually do it here in the states. Obviously, those will be the ones which cost a little bit more than you know their contemporaries because um you know labor costs and so forth but yeah i mean they they definitely have them um and just to to piggyback on your distinction of bespoke suits so what a lot of people don't know is that they have bespoke suits which are full custom right so they come and they literally make the suit for you you pick the fabric you pick the lining and they tailor to your body you do a first measurement where they have the canvas of the suit so all of this stuff it's like frankenstein you'll see all the guts of the suit yep. still out you know maybe no arm but, you know, they'll make sure that it fits perfectly. Um, and then, you know, they'll come back and then they'll measure you again at a later point and then finish up the suit. And then they have made the measure where they kind of have the skeleton of the suit already there. Um, and then, you know, they build on top of that skeleton, which is made to measure for you. So so just kind of like um, a recommendation for people out there. You're a young gun. You're 23, 25 years old. 
you just got a job, you know, you have to wear a suit, you want to look fresh, but like you're making thirty, forty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Where do you go? Suitable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Fuck. Come, just, come see me, and I, and I'll I'll steer you in the right direction. Um, and really, why I say that is because again, I'm always out for for the hunt of a good deal, right? And I'll do that for my client, right? And I respect every client. Um, doesn't matter if you know. Again, you're shopping at Saks, or if you're shopping at, um, you know, Burlington, you know, or Macy's or whatever. You know, I'm gonna treat you just the same, the same level of respect, and I'm gonna respect your budget, and you know, we're gonna work together and have a good time, and you're gonna learn something in the process. So, but again, to answer your question, it's um, you know, namely your department stores will will have suits that are affordable for for the masses, and again, it's it's really understanding um, the basics there and I talk about this in one of my blogs as well mm-hmm. is starting off with the basis navy blue uh, charcoal suit that's what I was going to ask you um, but you know making sure that it's tailored properly making sure that you have good fabric quality uh, and also having the basis of shirts and, and ties and so forth so so the last thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about because um, obviously you know we're, we're talking about fashion we're talking about money we're talking about Wall Street but what I really want to and, and I always try to like, I don't want to promote this like Instagram, everything is easy kind of lifestyle. So yeah. like what I want to talk about is for the business people out there, for people that are, that are you know, I, I'm in this job or I want to do that, you know, you, you grind. Like starting another business, starting a different, you know, start, like following your passion, following your dreams while having two kids, a yeah. wife, and commuting to the city every day is not an easy thing to do. I mean... I guess I just want I want to hear a little bit about um, the struggles of forming the business, finding the motivation, like you said before, at nine o'clock at night or ten o'clock at night yeah. to work on this to get to initially have gotten this passion project off the off the ground, the marketing behind it. It's it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's tough, man, especially when you're in a, in a demanding nine to five. And then you come home and then, you know, your second job, which is really your first job, is your family. And that's more demanding because, I mean, there's higher stakes in that, right? You got to make sure that your spouse is okay. You got to make sure that your kids have, you know, safe environment where they're learning and they feel loved. um, So they don't go out into the world screwed up. Um, So, and then, you know, there's, there's a part where the time that's left, it's like, all right, now I can work on suitable so it's, it's definitely a tough balancing act. But I think one of the things that, that helped me to focus on it is um, knowing that I'm doing this to create a legacy as well. Um, my parents are not traditional entrepreneurs. They are corporate people. Um, so to speak, both work for the hospital system. My mom is a florist. She's done that for many years on the side. Um, but in terms of forming, forming the business, and and carrying it through like i want my son to see that and see that you know he can go to college he can go work for a firm or he can start his own business right or if that doesn't work out he can take on um, a trade that will pay um that will pay dividends for him right where he can earn a high income similar to that of some people on wall street right so um you know it's really to create that opportunity and, and 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 avenue for my sons to see you know that they could do it too um but yeah starting the business um getting the motivation to do it took um took some pushing from some great people my wife being one of them 
Um, she's always been a battery in my back. Um, also, a couple of my boys who have really been instrumental in making sure that, you know, I stay motivated. So, Mark, as you know, and, you know, my other friend Mark, uh, one of my other close friends, mm-hmm. um, Sean, Jamie, a couple of other folks um, who helped to really, behind the scenes, pull things together for me, um, advice or what have you. But, um, yeah, I mean, and finding those times where I got to motivate myself, and that's where the, the legacy building comes into play, is, you know, that motivation that I've got to do something that's bigger than me, right? So, so if there's someone listening to this in another country, because we're global too, we're not, we're not the world's biggest uh, investment bank yet, but the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast, I'd say, is global. If you have someone sitting there who's not working or in a job that maybe they like but don't love and they have another passion, but they're just, they, they, they can't make the leap, they can't take the first step, what do you say to that person? I say, what do you got to lose, right? What do you have to lose? You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So take the shot. You might make it. You might surprise yourself. And then also surround yourself with people who are rooting for you, real people, your day ones, um, that really want to see you win. Because uh, you'll you'll need that, right? There's, there's no room for anyone who, um, you know, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but who can't add value to your life. And by that, I don't mean monetarily. I don't mean that they can open doors for you, but just even people who speak positively into you and, you know, believe in you, right? Because that's that's key, man. I mean, this this world, we're not in this world by ourselves. So we've got to so show love to people around us and, and support people around us that we care about. So, I mean, get, get you some people that you care about, that care about you, and take the leap of faith. How about that? Dude, I love it. I live by it. You're the fucking man. Thank you for coming down. It's a real pleasure. How do people get a hold of you? How do they follow you? I know you, you post a lot of, um, you have the blog. You have a lot of videos that you're popping off, just giving out a lot of free advice to guys out there. Where do they find you? How do they check you out? How do they get in touch with you? Sure. So you can contact me at uh, contact at suitable.com. So S U I T A. B-U-L-L.com. Um, so on the website as well, suitable.com. There is, um, you can engage services that way as well. That'll take you through a questionnaire that'll tell me a little bit about yourself, depending on what service you choose. And then that'll go right to our, our inbox. And then, you know, we can start the process there. How do they find you on uh, Instagram, YouTube? So on Instagram, I am at suitable. Mm-hmm. Spell the same way, of course. Um, and on YouTube, coming soon. Perfect. Maddie, you know who's the best dressed man in the permit business? I do. Who? Oh. <laughs> Captain. Captain Permit. 516 <laughs> If you need plans, permits, legalizations, new builds, commercial, you name it, we do it. Call the captain. And obviously, if you have a piece of real estate you want to sell, and the least you want to get entertained, I can guarantee you, at the very least, I'm a good time, but I want to buy it. 516-777-SOLD. That's a wrap. Orgulloso estoy de mi herencia judía. Ven y 